Okay. Okay. Father, we thank you, for, uh, Lord, for the uh, opportunity to give. We thank you, Father, that, uh, Lord, your word's very clear that when we give to you, God, of our time, of our energy, of our effort, uh, Father, even as we give of our finance, Lord, your word does say that you will give back to us, God. You will take care of our needs. You will bless us and you will, you will uh, give to us what we need as we give to you what you need, Father. So we thank you for that. God, I pray for each person here this morning, uh, Lord, that, uh, that God, as they sow into your kingdom, in whatever way, shape or form, God, including uh, financially, God, that you would uh, help them reap a harvest in due time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Piano story. Yeah, I've got a great story to tell you. Who wants to hear a story? Who likes stories? I'll tell you a story. Two weeks ago, I was playing guitar here in, in worship. And uh, an amazing thing happened at the end of church. My guitar case didn't pick itself up and put itself in the back of my car. I was really frustrated about that, and I got home and I turned to Jordan. I said to Jordan, so where's the guitar? And uh, Jordan said, well, I don't know. I, I didn't pick it up. I didn't, uh, I didn't bring it. I didn't grab it and put it back in the car, which was the wrong answer to say to your father. When your father's, asked, when your father's trying to lay blame on you, that's not the right answer. So anyway, I proceeded to get a little bit frustrated and go, well, you know, thinking, well, what, you know, you should have picked it up and you should have put it in the car. And the whole time the Spirit of God, of course, is saying to me, well, you should have picked it up and put it in the car. It's your guitar. So anyway, I, I was a little bit frustrated about that. So I quickly got on the phone. I rang up the centre here and said, look, can somebody please run out the back? I've got a, a guitar sitting there. It's a good guitar. And uh, it's just, I think we've left it in the room. So a guy came running out, had a look, found the guitar. He said, yes, it's here. I said, oh, fantastic. Look, we keep our stuff in a storage room at the back. Could you please put the guitar in the storage room? To which he replied, yep, no worries. I'll do that. Sweet. Excellent. I thought, I'll come up during the week and pick it up. I didn't get a chance to get up here and grab it. So Sunday morning, we get ready. We come up here to church. And Christy comes up here and we set this uh, keyboard up. Beautiful machine, music maker thing. And um, Christy's practicing keyboard, getting ready for worship. We look up at the clock. It's 10.28. And all of a sudden, it makes this sound, which is, as you know, not a sound. It's silent. All of a sudden, it just stopped working. It died on us. So anyway, it's dead. Two minutes before we start worship. Guess what? I've got a guitar here. So I ran over, got my guitar, uh, started playing the guitar. Um, the day before that, a guy rings me up and goes, look, Alan, we've got, there's a church down in Coffs Harbour. They've got one of these things over here, Yamaha Claranova that uh, they don't need anymore. They've got another one. Would you like it? And I said, oh, well, I didn't really think at that point we don't need one. We've got this beautiful thing here. But yeah, no worries. Right, yeah, we'll take it, you know. So anyway, uh, cut a long story short. Had I not left my guitar here the week before, we would have actually had no worship last week at all because we didn't have that and we didn't have this. So in the bigger scheme of life, sometimes things frustrate us. Sometimes things don't go according to plan. Isn't it amazing how many times that we look back in hindsight and go, God, please, I'm sorry, you, you knew exactly what was going on, you knew what was coming up, and uh, I just thought that was a, a pretty amazing story. I didn't sort of connect the dots till afterwards the following week when we got here, and I thought, isn't that amazing, God? This thing died the day before we get offered that. This thing dies the week before that. I happen to leave a guitar here, and it's funny how all these circumstances and situations come together, and uh, we had a great worship time uh, last week in the end anyway. So uh, glory to God. He knows what he's doing even when we don't. And uh, the point of the question is, take responsibility for your own actions. Don't blame your children. You'll always feel bad afterwards. Oh, I did. Okay. 
First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run, not with uncertainty, I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others I myself should become disqualified. I was lucky enough earlier this week to have um, a, I don't know how it worked, I had a day off work on my daughter's athletics carnival. I can't remember how that happened, but anyway, I had a day off work on my daughter's athletics carnival. That's right, I was taking my son to a, a, a funeral up here. And um, while he was at the funeral, I, I went off and my daughter was having an athletic carnival here. So I decided to go along and to... I said, I'll come along and I'll just watch an event. And I got there and I remember uh, getting out of my car and I walked over to where all these primary school kids and there's different things going on and stuff and a little bit of rain every now and then would hamper the event. But I remember standing there and these kids were running around like doing the... the the, the laps and the, the, the race, whatever the thing was. And I've got kids over here running, you know, striding. Like, I could hear Chariots of Fire music, I kid you not. Striding and, and long jump, you know. It was more like a long step for many of them. It stepped. And then there was shot put, you know, shot put. And the winner was the guy with the longest arm because it just went... <laughs> so if you had the longest arm, you were, you were a shoo-in for that event. But well, I watched all these kids, these athletes, and I thought I could tell... I could tell that the hours of meticulous training and effort and, and discipline and, and, the, and, and, and the things necessary to be a great athlete and to compete at that level, I could tell that all of those things had been greatly neglected <laughs> by watching the performance of these kids. Um, but, you know, what it wasn't the Olympics, it was the Kids' Athletics Carnival, so it's, it's okay. But I had an opportunity to be there uh, and to witness that. And it got me thinking about this passage here in Corinthians where Paul talks about running a race and receiving a prize. Um, the audience that Paul's talking to, the Corinthians, were very well versed in athletic events. There was a particular event called the Ithmian Games. Um, it was the second largest Olympic event in Greece. Who knows what the largest event was? The Olympic Games, of course. The Olympic Games was held every four years, as it still is today. The Ithmian Games were held every two years. And the Ithmian Games involved a whole bunch of events similar to the Olympic Games. Um, And the way that it worked was that the athletes would have to go through, and they were monitored, in order to qualify for these games, you would have to go through 10 months of rigorous training. So for 10 months... You had to uh, train and commit yourself to this event, whatever it was that you were going in at the time. For the last month of that training, it had to be done in Corinth itself. So they would come to Corinth and they would work out with a strict training regime in the gymnasium and also on the, on the track and the field. And so for that last month, it was monitored. These were requirements for these athletes to actually be able to go and to compete in these games. So there was the, the Corinthian audience were very versed in understanding this picture that Paul was painting about racing and running for a prize. Now, you know what the prize was for the runners? The winner of the, the, the events, they would stand on a podium and they would get given to them a pine wreath that would wrap around their head. 
Um, now, along with that, of course, came the popularity, the fame. You became the hero of your nation, your village, your location, whatever. So, so they got the prestige that came with it, but they were training and doing all that. And at the end of that event, if you won, you got given a pine wreath. In the 5th century, they changed the pine wreath. And guess what they changed it to? A wreath of dried cucumbers. Ah, sorry, celery. Celery. It was dried celery. So they, so they, they went from a pine wreath to a wreath of dried celery. So I encourage you, the point I'm making today is go home, get your celery out, strip it down, dry it on a bench. Let's make celery wreaths. Bring them to church next week and we'll have a, we'll judge who can make the best dried celery wreath. That's a challenge, I dare you. You'll do it, won't you? I know Deb will do it. I'm challenging you. So the audience that Paul's writing to are very familiar with this whole metaphor of running and of racing. Paul makes a little bit of a point in distinguishing the difference, though, between the Christian life and a race. A couple of things that he brings up, he, he says that everybody has the opportunity to win and succeed in the Christian life. When it comes to the athletic event, how many of you know that, that everybody trains, everybody puts in time, but only one person can win because of the nature of those events? Paul is distinguishing a little bit here with the Christian life and going, you know what, the analogy of running, it it falls short in this one point that in an athletic event, one person wins. But you know what, every one of us have the opportunity to win. There's nobody in in the Christian life that does not have the opportunity to win. How good is that? You have the opportunity to win. As a matter of fact, Paul says everybody runs in a race. He says to us, the church, run as if you are to win it. You are to run as if you are to win it. We've been talking over the last few weeks about the difference between a convert and a disciple. Are we happy to just be converts? To just have walked in through the door, shaken the hand of Jesus, accepted his invitation, and that's all? Or do we want to go further with that relationship? Do we want to build that relationship? Do we want to be what Jesus called disciples? Not simply converts, but disciples. You see, a convert is happy just to be in the race. Convert's happy just to run. Hey, I'm in the race. I made it. Disciples want to win. A disciple has that winning attitude, that desire to be successful. Do you not know, he says to them. Of course he knows they do. That those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. You run in such a way that you're going to be the winner. You know, it doesn't matter what you do in life. I believe that should be our mentality as Christians. If you're a teacher, you should be teaching and running that teaching race as if you are going to be the best teacher that your school's ever seen. If you're an artist, you should be pursuing your art as if you are going to be and want to be the best artist this world has ever seen. If you're a dancer, if you're a young kid playing soccer, if you're a a, a fisherman, whatever it is that you do, an architect... We should have an attitude of excellence about what we do. And we should do it with our whole heart. And we should do it with commitment. And we should do it with a goal to be the best. There's no point being half-hearted about things in life. And so Paul's saying right off the bat, you need to understand you are actually a winner. So act like a winner. Don't just run in the race. Win it. Go hard after it. This is the mentality, the attitude that God wants and that disciples have. If we're going to do this thing with Jesus, let's win it. Let's be committed to it. Let's be great at it. Let's be good at it. 
not half-hearted, not lukewarm. So everybody has the opportunity to win and succeed. The second point that he's making in the comparison is that though these athletes run for something that will wilt and die, we're running for something that will go on for eternity. Their prize will perish and turn back to dust. Our prize is imperishable. It cannot be destroyed. What we're building in our lives is going to go on for eternity. The guy that wins the Olympic event, the guy that wins the Ithmian Games, gets his wreath, puts it on his head. And guess what? He might be a big deal for a while. But guess what? Two years' time when they run the next Games, if he doesn't win, he's now... Who is he now? The wreath he had two years ago has probably turned to dust. It's gone. It's just a relic. Now somebody else is the winner. Who are you now? It comes, it goes. The fame, the fortune, it comes, it goes. But he says, we're building something. We're running towards a prize that is imperishable and eternal. Is our relationship with God that important to us? Is the spiritual side of life that important to us? That we will run that side of life with the intention of winning. You know, this is perishable. Everything to do with this body is going to perish one day. Parts of it, I say, praise God, bring it on. That little belly I'm getting here. I wish it would perish right now, as long as I'll keep the rest of it. But, but it can happen. It's just going to take a bit of work, a bit of self-discipline, a bit of commitment. The car that I drive, it's, well, it's already perishing. If you have a good look at it, it's got... It's, if, actually, I'm strategically leaving the rust holes in the roof because in about three months, I'll turn them into a sunroof. And I won't even have to cut nothing out. I'll just poke it. Keeps going around the back windows. I'll just knock it out too and make it a convertible. The whole top's going to come off shortly. It's perishing as we speak. Your car, I don't care if you bought it yesterday. Guess what? The minute you got it, it started to fall apart. Is that right? The minute you got that thing, it started to perish. It started to fall apart. The house that you build, the house you live in, the house you're dreaming of, you can attain it, you can build it. The minute that last nail gets banged into that thing, guess what? From that very moment on, it's now perishing. From that very moment called the law of atrophy. What's not going forward is going backwards. Anything that's not being built is being disassembled. Anything that's not going forward is going backwards. That's the way it works. All these things in this natural world are so perishable, yet we spend so much time and energy and focus and commitment to attain them. We spend hours at a gym to make this body look healthy. We read diet books. We spend hours in the kitchen cooking the right foods. These are all great, good, wonderful things. I encourage you to do them. But we're doing all this stuff for a body that one day will perish. We're spending all these hours earning money, building houses, buying cars, building a career. We spend all this time getting popular, famous, all these things that we want to achieve and do. All this effort into something that is ticking, the clock is ticking down on every one of those things as we speak. It feels right now like I've got all this time in the world and God is one of those things that when I get time, I'll get to him. 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 When I get... Oops. I'm out of time. All those years I decided, now I'm going to develop in my world, discipline myself to develop a prayer life. And five years later, I'm still saying the same thing every New Year's Eve. This year... This year I'm going to de- right. This year I'm going to develop a devotional life. I'm going to value what's in this book. I'm going to value the input that that has into my world. I'm going to value it more than the Northern Star. I'm going to value it more than New Idea. 
I'm going to value the opinions of Paul and James and Jesus and Moses and the writings they gave more than the opinion of Oprah and Dr. Phil. I'm going to really value this and make it a part of my world. I'm going to do it. And then five years later, New Year's resolution, I'm going to make this stuff really... And it's the same thing, and it's the same thing, and it's the same thing. We value and we put so much time and energy into that which is perishable. And I'm, hear me very clearly here. I'm not saying that's bad. But what's bad is not how much, perhaps, perhaps, how much we put into this, but by comparison, our spiritual walk with God, our spirit man, what's important, what is non-perishable, how much time do we put into that in comparison? And this is what Paul's saying. These guys do whatever it takes to win a perishable wreath. Do whatever it takes to win this thing that one day will return to the ground. And he's saying the attitude is great. That's the attitude we need to have, that we go at all costs hard after that which we want to get. It's not the attitude, it's the focus. Turn that same attitude away from the perishable things of life. And if you can have that same focus, that same attitude for the imperishable, wow, that's when life takes off. That's when we begin to see God move. That's when we begin to see change in our own life. That's when we begin to see things take root. In verse 27, after painting this picture of an athletic event and so on, Paul goes on and he makes this statement, which I think is the key point he's trying to make. He says in verse 27... But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. How many of you know the greatest enemy you have is yourself? We want to take nations for Jesus. We want to have dominion and authority over devils and demons and spiritual forces, but we can't take control over our own bodies. How many parents want to control their kids, but they can't control themselves? The real battle is controlling myself, taking authority over me. Because if I can't take authority over me, I'll never live out my priorities, ever. You've got two ways of living this life. You'll live it by convenience or you'll live it by conviction. They're your two choices. You will either live it by convenience... What, what works for me right now? What's convenient? Or you'll live it by conviction. What am I convinced is the right way to live? If I'm convinced that I should have a prayer life, then it doesn't matter whether it's convenient or not because I'm convinced that's what I should be doing. So, so maybe the time that I've got to squeeze that in, maybe I'd, I'd rather be sleeping for the next half an hour, but I might have to push my body, subject my body and go, no, I'm going to get up half an hour early. And I'm going to make that a bit of time with the Lord. I'm going to, it's no different to an athlete. Do you think a swimmer wants to get out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and be swimming in the middle of winter in the pool at 3.30 only to get out of the pool at 5, have a shower and go to work? But they subject their body. They take dominion over their own self in order to achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve. You want to be a great soccer player. You're going to have to learn to take control over your own body. There are going to be things you're going to have to prioritise and do that you might not want to do. But if you want to be great at that, there are certain disciplines you have to have in your life or you will never achieve that. You'll never achieve it. Paul's saying, here's your goal. Win in the spiritual life. Run the race to win. Not to get a second or a third. You run to win. 
And in order to do that, you need to discipline yourself. You need to take dominion and control over yourself. You need to go, hang on, here's a line in the sand here. These are convictions of mine, and in order to live out those convictions, I'm going to have to discipline myself and live a certain way. I'm going to have to go after certain things. I might even have to let go of certain things in order to achieve that as well. One of the major characteristics of disciples in the New Testament is self-discipline. They run in such a way as to win. Paul asks the question in verse 25, athletes discipline themselves. In order to get a perishable wreath, why as the church can't we discipline ourselves for an imperishable one? Why can't we do that? There are many, many reasons. See, there's something about successful people in any area of life. They're committed. They're committed. They do what they need to to get to where they need to be. Again, they do it for perishable things. But it's a challenge to a spiritual person, I think. What sort of commitment am I prepared to make for my spiritual life, for my spiritual growth, for my spiritual well-being? See, many people want the destination. We want to get there. We want the destination without the determination. I want to be there, but I don't want to do what I need to to get there. I want the end result, but I don't want the inconvenience of the journey. I want to hear the voice of God. I want to feel his presence. So I want him to be speaking to me. I want him to guide me. I want to see miracles. But I just want to be in that place now. I don't want to learn how to hear his voice. I don't want to learn how to quiet myself so that I can be with him. I don't want to learn what the word of God has to say about certain situations. I just, I just want to be in that end result, in that place of victory without having to throw a punch. I read this week a little story I thought was quite funny about a little boy in a church and, and, and somebody asked him and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And his answer was, I want to be a returned missionary. I want to be a returned missionary. What the little boy was saying was, I don't want to have to sell everything and have the pain of letting go of my possessions to fund an overseas journey. I don't want the pain of having to say goodbye to my friends and my family and not be able to play my sport again perhaps because they don't have it there. I don't want the pain of having to get on a plane for 18 hours. I don't want the pain of having to go to another culture, be surrounded by people maybe of a different colour, be surrounded by people that I can't speak their language. I don't want the pain of having to learn how to effectively communicate with those people. I don't want the pain of having to get used to their food and letting my stomach readjust. I don't want the pain of maybe being in a hot environment, hot temperatures and stuff. I don't want the pain. What I want, though, is the joy of when you come home as a returned missionary, everybody loves you. You're somebody... I want the accolades of somebody who's gone through that. I want the praise. I want to be put on that little pedestal of somebody who's sacrificed their life for Jesus, but I want it without ever having had to sacrifice my life for Jesus. I thought that was a fantastic answer from a little boy. But you know what? I think it sums up a little bit of the mentality, perhaps, of what we have in the church as well. We want that end result but we're just not sure that we want to pay the price to get there. We're just not sure. Well, if you don't pay the price, you're never going to get there. Here's the thing. We'll never be successful witnesses for Jesus. You won't be a successful husband, a father, a mother, a wife, a friend, an employee, a boss, or Christian. You will not have a successful marriage, successful business, a family, a successful church, successful sporting team, 
without getting your priorities right. And self-discipline is the evidence of those priorities. You can tell me what your priorities are. Truth is, I should be able to tell you because they're evidenced by the self-discipline I see in your life. I know what I want my priorities to be, but let me tell you something. I'm as, as guilty as anybody else. There are moments where I will live by convenience, not conviction, because it just doesn't feel convenient to uphold this conviction right here, so I'll just let it go this time. You know? That's not going to build, that's not going to turn me into a winner. That's not going to get me on that podium with that wreath of dried celery around my head. (laughs) It's not going to do it. How many of you know that athletes forego good things in order to achieve the best things? It's not all sin. We know, we know about sin, we're educated about sin, and we talk a lot about sin in church, you know, and sin is bad, and, and you stay away from sin, and you're missing the mark, and it's God's standards, and blah, blah. We know about sin, we understand about sin. So when we talk about this, it's easy to go, well, you know, well, I'm keeping away from sin, I'm doing all the right things, and, you know, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, and I'm doing all that stuff. But how many of you know it's not just sin? Athletes don't just stay away from bad things in order to become great athletes, They're, they stay away from some good things in, in order to become the best athletes as well. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore we are, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, watch this, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Sin we understand. What's a weight? It's just something that slows you down from where you're trying to go. How many times have you taken off in your car and thought, gee, it's got no guts today. It's going real slow. And then I look down, I've got my handbrake on. You ever been in a boat and, and, and tried to take off and thought, gee, I'm just dragging, dragging. And then you look over the back and you realise you haven't taken the anchor out. Anyone ever done that? I've done that before. I've done both those things before. I did the handbrake yesterday. Weights, things that slow us down. I'm saying I've got no time to pray. Well, maybe I just don't watch Wheel of Fortune. Maybe I've sacrificed my Wheel of Fortune in order to... What's more important? It's not a bad thing, Wheel of Fortune. But is it a weight? Is it one of those things that perhaps is just slowing you down a little bit? See, if we want to be mediocre Christians, that's fine, but we don't. Paul's saying don't. He's saying run your race as if you are going to win it. Build your spiritual life to be the best spiritual life you can build. Build your relationship with God to be the best relationship with God you can have. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for anything else. What do you want more in your life? Reasons or results? When it comes to your walk with the Lord, what do you want? Reasons or results? Because I'll tell you this. Here's the good news. Whichever one you want, you'll get it. If you think you can't discipline yourself, if you think you can't build a good relationship with God, if you think you can't pray, if you think you can't read the word of God, if you think you can't make it to church, guess what? You're right, you can't. Because that's what you think. If you think you can build a strong Christian walk, if you think you can make it to church, if you think you can pray, if you think you can read the word of God, if you you think you can build those things into your world, guess what? You're right as well. You can It all comes back to what are you more leaning towards? Are you happy with reasons or are you happy with results? 
I want results. I can think of a million reasons why I can't build a strong Christian walk. I can think of a thousand reasons why I am flat out, I am busy, I got this, I got that. We all do. We all do. I've got reasons why I can't. But I'm either going to have a life where I'm going to look back on it and go, gee, that life was so full of reason. Very little results, but a lot of reason. I can justify my lack of results by my reasons. Or do you want to look back and go, you know what, I've grown, I'm being successful, I'm doing the right thing, I'm going somewhere. And let the reasons slide. Let the reasons go. It's not just sin, but there are other things. What is there in your world right now? What is it in your world right now that you can adjust, tweak, change, just that little bit so you can commit yourself to, 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 to regular prayer life, so that you can commit yourself to finding time to get into the Word of God, so you can find time to get along to fellowship? What adjustments or changes can you make? What's in your power to do in order to do that, in order to build that uh, strong Christian walk so that we can actually be disciples. The church that Jesus Christ died for, not a bunch of converts who just come along, I want salvation, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven, and I'm just happy with that, and thank you, God, and I'll get on with the rest of my life now, not even worrying too much about the spiritual side. I'll just focus so much on the natural side because I know when I get there, he's going to let me in. Why? Because I've got a Jesus hall pass. Because I'm saved by grace through faith. Yes, you are, but you are saved for more than just that. You were saved to make a difference. You were saved to reflect God to the world. You were saved to experience the stuff this book talks about, not read about it. Discipleship is not a topic we read about, it's a life we live. Miracles are not something we read about, it's what we should be seeing. The Word of God is not something we read about, it should be something we experience when God speaks to us, when revelation comes. But it comes to those, as we looked at last week, that have established certain disciplines in their life. And the Bible calls those people the church. So my challenge today, my question, we've been looking at the same thing for about three or four weeks now, coming at it from different angles. Enough talk. Enough talk. We need to look at our own lives and we need to make a decision. How important is the spiritual side of life for you? How important is your relationship with God? Is it important enough to make the necessary changes? Is it important enough to make the necessary adjustments? Are you able to discipline your body? Are you able to be more passionate about eternal life and salvation and the kingdom of God than an athlete is about getting a dried celery wreath on the top of his head? Where are we at? What's God saying to you? Where is God challenging you? Where are you living a life of convenience as opposed to a life of conviction? I'm so glad that Jesus lived a life of conviction because I don't think it was convenient to hang on a cross for me. I don't think it was convenient to watch his mates all scatter and run. I don't think it was convenient to have lies told about him. I don't think it was convenient to be physically beaten to a pulp. I don't think it was convenient to leave the warmth and the nurture and the love of heaven. I don't think a lot of what Jesus did was convenient. But he was driven by a conviction. And that conviction was that the Father so loves each one of us that he wants us to be in relationship with him. He's 
And he was convinced that he was the only one that could achieve that. He was the only one that could open up that door where we could come back into a relationship with the Father. He lived a life of conviction. The early church lived a life of conviction. I don't think Stephen stood there and wanted to have stones thrown at him. I don't think that Paul wanted to be murdered for his faith. I don't think it was a choice. I don't think it was something when he got saved, he said, right, yeah, I'm going to come to you, Christ. And when I think about the vision and dream of my life, I hope one day that I'm killed for you. I don't think Peter wanted to be crucified on a cross upside down because he didn't want to be right side up because he didn't feel like he was worthy enough to die the same way as Jesus. I don't think the early church wanted to get fed to lions. I don't think they wanted to be herded like cattle into the back of wagons and get taken away. I don't think they wanted all that stuff. I don't think it was convenient for them. But I think they lived with a fiery conviction that God was real and that Jesus was coming back one day and that the, the Holy Spirit was here with them right now and that they were here for a purpose and a reason and that reason was to make a difference, to reflect God to the world. And make sure that everybody in their generation had the opportunity to know that God is not something hanging on a cross. God is not a fairy tale. He's not a story in a storybook. He's not just a person, a character in a novel. But that he's real. So where are we? Father, I just pray this morning, Lord, for each of us here, God, I... I, God, I know that, uh, Father, the last couple of weeks, uh, Lord, have probably been more vegetables than ice cream. But, Father, your word tells us that, uh, God, there are some things that make us feel good. There are some things that are easy to swallow and really palatable. And there are some things, unfortunately, that we don't talk a lot about, but we should. And our spiritual walk with you is, is one of those things that we should talk about. We should be challenging each other. We should be challenged ourselves as we read the word of God. We should be challenged, Father, to be the church that you died for. Not just a group of people that meet as a social uh, club, Lord, or not just a group of people that uh, get together and pat each other on the back and, and love each other and form companionship. As wonderful as all those things are, God, but we exist for so much more than that. And so, Father, I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you would just speak to each of us individually, God. Father, bring your conviction to us, God. Are there areas, Father, where we're being lazy? Are there areas, God, where we're living out of convenience and not conviction? God, are there areas where, Lord, we are not disciplining ourselves in ways that we can, Father, not to take the fun out of life, not to be be lopsided and be some weird spiro, but, God, in order to prioritise our spiritual walk with, with you. Holy Spirit asks that you would speak individually to each person, as we leave this place today, God, as, the, as the, the, the next week unfolds, Lord. God, pull apart all of our reasonings and all of our rationalizations and, and all the, the things that would try to come into our head and tell us why this is rubbish and why this is maybe, maybe this worked for the church once, but it won't anymore. Maybe God used to be that important, but that was back before we had so many things. And maybe today God doesn't want us to take our faith so seriously. And all that rubbish, all those lies... God, we pray you would filter your way through them. You would tear them up. God, you would, you would come in with your word by your spirit and you would challenge and change those ideas, God. Bring us to that place, Father, where we, like the early church, are so convinced of your reality that we would physically give ourselves for that, God. And Lord, I also know, God, it's sometimes easier to say I'll die for you than it is to say I'll live for you. And that's what we're talking about here today, Father, is living for you. The Holy Spirit, just touch us, speak to us.
challenge us and make us into the church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hang around. Tea, coffee, all that sort of stuff. We'll we'll get some uh, music going in the background. And uh, I want to hang around up here for a little bit because I would love to pray for anybody uh, today. I feel a stirring within myself that God wants... uh, I don't think God needs another group of people meeting in another place. I just don't think that we've got enough of those. I want to be a part of a group of people that take this spiritual realm seriously, that take our walk with God seriously. And, and, and I, I just want to pray for anybody this morning that maybe you, in the last few weeks you've heard things, you've thought about things, maybe you've been challenged, maybe you think it's rubbish. That's fine, I'm sweet with that too. But I just want to pray that whatever's going on in your world, that God, by his Holy Spirit, would solidify it, would move upon you, would, would not let you walk away from here and in a day, two days a week, go, gee, that was a wonderful message, come back next Sunday and I'm ready for the next bowl of food. I think what I've been talking about for the last four weeks is a foundational thing. It's a foundational thing that, that, that I think God wants us to get a hold of. We're disciples, people. We're not converts. And we're not just Christians. We're disciples. We're followers. So let's live that way. Amen. Bless you.